sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. What is the Second Vatican Council and why should we care? What does it matter to our life today? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Ignition. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into Vatican II, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, and you might, you might... Depends on how good of a job my co-host does in asking your questions. <laughs> or if you have ideas for free, for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. And that host is, as usual, Renee Kranz. Hi, Renee. Hi, Chris. And Who? it's the lovely Renee Kranz to you. The lovely Renee Kranz to me. Really? Why? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, who are you? What do you do? What do I do? What, what, do, you, what do you got new for us? Uh, I am the editor of the Bishop's Bulletin. I'm going to start with that. All right. Time. And uh, the interim director of communications for the diocese. Um, I've been married to my husband, Ryan, for 18 years. And I was just thinking about something to say. Um, I was married. We were married in the tiny little town of Cransburg, up by Watertown. In the beautiful Holy Rosary Parish. Did you get married in Cranzburg because your husband's last name is Kranz? No, that is actually where his family settled, the Kranz side. Yes. Um, but no, we got married in Cranzburg because my mother, I grew up in Castlewood part, part of my life, and my mother's still a member of the Castlewood Parish. And at that time, and still now, Castlewood and Cranzburg are connected with the same priest. We didn't want to get married in the Castlewood Church because it's very small. So we got married in Cranzburg. Well, we just lost all the listeners uh, uh, no, in Castlewood. No, 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 no. The Cranzburg the Parish is bigger, and it it lends itself better to going to Watertown for the reception. Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> okay that's so, fair. That's fair. <laughs> that's why we did that. Okay, but that makes sense. Um, a bird flew into the church during our wedding. You say, really? Yeah. Uh, you were at Cranzburg. Um, um, it rained something. and it sunshined. So. Wow. Covered all the bases. We, we got all the good luck and bad luck for everything. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, there was something that you said about that. Uh, got married. It, it, it's lost on me. If I remember it, I won't interrupt the episode. To bring okay, it back. good. So, Renee, um, <laughs> Vatican II, last week we talked about the catechism, and mm-hmm. I mentioned how the catechism of the Catholic Church that came out in the 90s um, was connected in many ways to the Second Vatican Council in terms of why was the catechism written. You can go back and listen to last week's episode for uh, those details. Um, we're talking this week about Vatican II. So what is it and why should people care? Let's start with the first question. Um, what's your understanding of the Second Vatican um, Council? It was a council. <laughs> what does that mean? I really, you know, I really... Uh, it, it is, isn't it where all of the bishops gather? Is that right? Or is it more you than just me. the bishops? You're the expert here. I, you know, I'm really not an expert <laughs> on this. And I honestly don't really know why it was called. Okay. So, yeah, let's start. I'm with, a noob. The, <laughs> what <laughs> is this. it? Let's start with that then. Um, you're right. Uh, it, it's a council. What's a council? It is all the bishops gathered together. So there have been, it's, it, there's, Vatican II is only the 21st council, ecumenical council. In 2,000 years. In 2,000 years. Okay. So ecumenical council is the term for a council of all of the bishops 
of the church who come together and for for some reason usually it's called by the the pope if he doesn't formally call it he approves its calling okay. if you will um Biocommunical councils are, are gatherings of bishops from around the world uh, together with the Pope or one of his, historically, he hasn't always personally been there, but he, one of his legates, a delegate, if you okay. will, uh, has always been present at, at an ecumenical council. And is that like a another bishop or is that like a cardinal or somebody? Or it, can it depends. Be... Historically, okay. that's a good question. I think they've, they may have been priests. Oh, okay. um, uh, But probably for... Um, centuries the pope himself has been there okay uh, maybe even uh, actually even in the 16th century the council of trent the pope may not have actually always been there personally and may have been through a delegate which again could be a priest could be a bishop could be a cardinal okay it varies throughout history so um 21 times, that's an average of uh, just over one a century. So it's not like it happens that often. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're they're called, again, in response to some, usually some issue, some crisis in some cases, that needs to be addressed. Uh, Usually around some teaching that's being challenged. But sometimes, so Trent was called, I mentioned this last week, the Council of Trent in the 16th century, the 19th Ecumenical Council, was called in response to um, the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. but also just corruption in, in the church. Which is part of the cause of the Protestant Reformation. Right, right exactly. <laughs> so, Partially. All together. Right, right. So an ecumenical council is called, and, and all the bishops who are able to travel um, go to where the council is being held, and they meet for anywhere from several months to several years. Oh, wow. Okay. So Vatican II lasted from the fall of 1962 until the fall of 1965. Oh. Um, the Council of Trent met off and on from 1545 to 1563. Oh, my. Off and on okay. for almost 20 years. Okay. Um, a lot of turmoil in Europe at the time because right. of the Reformation and political intrigue. So they, they couldn't continuously meet. So it's been anywhere from um, a few or several months to several years okay. from beginning to end. Um, so ecumenical councils, they meet bishops gather together. Uh, what's your guess? Do you have any idea why Vatican II is called Vatican II? Why is it called the Second Vatican Council? Well, there is a First Vatican Council. That's correct. I know that. <laughs> so what? Is, but but. Again, these are the those that so that the first Vatican Council was held in the late nineteenth century. So Vatican I and Vatican II, less than a century apart, but they're the the last two of twenty one ecumenical councils. Where were the rest held? Different places. Well, in Trent, it was held in Trent, wasn't it? Right. So that's northern Italy. Yeah. Right. Are they always named after where they're held? Usually. Okay. Usually. So I thought maybe they were just getting lazy with their names. We're just going to start calling them Vatican and right, a number, right. like nope. the Super Bowl. <laughs> so so why, so why is it called Vatican I and Vatican II? They were both held in the Vatican? At the, so so <laughs> notice that. The first 18 councils in church history were not held at yeah. the Vatican. Yeah. They were, many of them, the Lateran, there are several Lateran councils. The Lateran is um, actually technically what's actually the, co- pope, the Pope's cathedral. St. John Lateran is one of the major churches in Rome. Most people think of St. Peter's, Mm -hmm. but St. Peter's is actually not the cathedral for the Archdiocese of Rome. St. John Lateran is actually the cathedral, uh, the cathedral parish for the Archdiocese of Rome. So there are many councils that were held at the Lateran as the Pope's cathedral. 
Um, it was only uh, in the 19th century that there was a council held actually in St. Peter's. I think when most people think of like what's what's the church for the Catholic Church, I think most people think of St. Peter's. Right. But it wasn't until the 1870s that hmm. a, a council was actually held in St. Peter's okay. as a matter of historical interest. Super. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, Moving on. <laughs> so you had in, in the 1960s, um, what was over 2,000 bishops? Okay. Together with many of them brought theological experts. Okay. So, for instance, one of the cardinal archbishops of Germany brought uh, an up and coming um, German theologian, priest theologian, as his theological expert. Okay. That priest name that pre, that priest name was Father Josef Ratzinger, who of course is Pope, Pope Benedict, Benedict. Right. Ratzinger. Yeah. Um, so so you had bishops, you had the Pope and his advisors. So all of sort of we think of the diocesan offices. Well, there are many there. There's offices in the Vatican as well. Mm-hmm. So those advisors were there. The bishops from around the world. But but the, who who votes in an ecumen? When it comes down to it, there are documents that are drafted. Almost every council. There are documents that are drafted and it's sort of staying the church teaches or how we're going to address the issues like corruption. Um, And then the the bishops vote on them. And and the norm has always been we need to have a clear, like not necessarily complete unanimity, but but. Uh, an overwhelming majority. It can't be fifty nine to forty. Exactly. There's no. There's no fifty nine to forty. It's got to be. So. So the documents of Vatican II. There were sixteen of them. We'll get into that. Um, but literally, uh, I. Maybe I don't know. If, I don't know if the no votes got into double digits. Oh, okay. So out of two thousand bishops, I think fewer than ten would well, vote. It really should be that way. It because, should be that way. I mean, there should yeah. be. Very little disagreement about what the church exactly. teaches. Exactly. Right, right. So uh, what was the question? Where was I going with? Oh, oh. so who votes? Who votes? The bishops, I imagine. The bishops and the pope. Okay. The advisors don't have a right. vote. Right. The, the bishops' advisors, the pope's advisors, it's it's the the bishops who are present and the pope who are the ones who So do you have to be present? Documents. Like if you're a bishop That's and a you're question. not present, you don't uh, get a vote. You know what, Especially could, now. Could you have an ecumenical council by Zoom? That's well, a good yeah, question. Because obviously you didn't have that, especially at Trent. Correct. I bet you could. So, That'd I bet be my you could guess. now. <laughs> I bet you could now. Um, but we'd want to make sure the votes were counted properly. We don't, we won't no mail-in be, votes. No. We I'm won't not going to go there. Yeah, that's a good question. How would the voting happen? I, yeah. I think they'd still gather in person, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but if you couldn't make it, could you zoom in? in inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> I th- to be honest, I think a question like that, that'd be up to the Pope to decide. Well, and, and eventually that will that question will come up. Right, I'm because, sure of it. you know, when we're colonizing, you know. Right. Mars. For the Bishop of Mars, he's going to want to know, gonna, can I zoom in? Can I zoom, do I have to fly back? <laughs> right. What are we talking about? <laughs> so, ecumenical councils. Bishops are present with the Pope uh, or they one vote, of his delegates. Yeah. They they discuss, they draft, and then they decide. Okay. Are we? They vote. Do we, are we going to approve this document or not? And the documents again usually addressing either doctrinal crisis or a moral crisis within the church or within society. So, Vatican II. Um, was held in 19, from 1962 to 1965. It was actually called 
in early 19, it was January of 1959, by the relatively new but aged Pope, uh, John the 23rd. Mm-hmm. So John the 23rd was elected just the fall, like the fall of, of 1958. He was, he was older. He was well into his seventies, I think, if not. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and the sort of the, the, you know, the, 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 um, church politics take was, well, the Cardinals couldn't really decide who to, to elect as, 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 uh, as the next Pope. So we'll just elect. We'll pick a um, really old guy. An old guy. <laughs> and, you know, he'll just sort of maintain things. And then when he passes on. He did and he was like, hey, we're going to have a council. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's like, Anna, Anna. Uh, he, he ended up uh, and really believed it was an inspiration of the spirit in January of 59 calls for an ecumenical council. Now, this is a big deal. Yeah. Again, they only happen roughly once a century. And uh, it, it, sometimes you go several centuries in between ecumen- ecumenical councils. There's just the logistics. Again, you've mm-hmm. got popes or bishops and their advisors traveling to Rome. They need to stay somewhere. You have to have St. Peter set up. Like all the, like all of the, what are we going to discuss? Right. What are the priorities going to be? So there was, there was a, um, it's a big deal when a pope calls a council, but he called the council uh, and and it began three and a half years later. He would die after the first session was over. So he died in oh. 1963. Mm-hmm. His successor, Paul VI, and they're both saints now, yep. St. Saint John XXIII, St. Saint Paul VI. Um, it was Paul VI who, would, who uh, led the council to its conclusion over the next three sessions, ending in the fall, um, early winter of 1965. Mm-hmm. Why did John call the council? So when you think of Vatican II, do you have, so what is it and why should we care? Part of the what is it is why was it called? And do you have any sense, understanding of why John felt inspired by the Holy Spirit? Like what was his rationale? The Holy Spirit's calling me to start, they call this council. Why? Uh, my guess is because of the loss of people from the church. Uh, things were going great in the church. Okay. Well, I know that that Vatican II had a lot to do with evangelizing. Yep. In the end, at least. Yep. So that was my why I'm thinking that. But yep. obviously, That's, I'm wrong. Yep. <laughs> Humility is a. Is, it's good to be honest. <laughs> I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> um, so, then just the correction there was the um, the number of people like. So first of all, like priests and religious leaving the church and then lay people that actually came in the seventies. Okay. So we didn't have the Mac, the sort of quote Maybe unquote mass exodus. Coming. So um, <laughs> what he said was a desire to renew the, how the church proclaims her teachings, Okay. Uh, not to change the teachings, that seems broad. <laughs> but, but how, how do, how do we, how do we, how do we basically, how do we teach more effectively? Mm-hmm. So there was a recognition, even though numerically the church seems strong in many ways, many parts of the world. Like you think of, and many people look, people would look to the 1950s as the heyday of the church in the United States. As American Catholics, like things just seem to be going awesome in many ways in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. That's not completely true, but it certainly in certain ways seemed to be true. Uh, and it was true in many ways. Um, so... But what people saw other other places was, um, and actually also in the U.S., things are maybe strong in a certain sense, but there's maybe a lot of weakness that we're unaware of. Yeah. And if you look at what happened 
when there's really a cultural revolution in the in Western mm-hmm. society in the late '60s. When you think when we think of the '60s, just sort of a cultural sense, like rock and roll, drugs, sex, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, the late '60s and into '70s. Look what happened in the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, things did like they didn't collapse, but w- the church took a lot of blows, if you will, right. because of that. Uh, so people concluded. Um, there, there is a crisis of civilization that was coming, and whether John the twenty third intuited that or not, whether he sensed it, because other people were, were sensing that, it, yeah. and there were things that were happening actually a little before that with the onset of contraception and different right. things like that yep. that he had, I think he had talked about, hadn't he, or someone maybe uh, to before some degree, him. Paul the sixth primarily, yeah, sort of. yeah. So um, the at least the spirit knew what was coming, right? If John didn't intuit it, that we need to call the council to prepare the church. So rather than addressing the crisis after it's begun, let's try to address the crisis before it hits. The spirit knew we were coming out of Christendom. Yes. To use, <laughs> to use the book we are looking yeah, at. Yeah, in the right Diocese now. of Falls. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting with Renee Kranz today about the Second Vatican Council, what it is and why it matters. And we're talking about um, why John the 23rd called it. So there was this crisis that was coming that perhaps he intuited, but regardless, he wanted the church to more effectively be able to be heard by people of our time, mm-hmm. right? Um, so to sort of convey what the church teaches uh, in, in a way that people living in the late 20th and now the 21st century can understand more easily and more readily. So not changing the teaching, but t- changing how the teaching is taught. Right. Does that make sense? Yep. So he called the council, they come together, they end up issuing 16 documents. Okay. Um, and they're, uh, the, the four most important of them are the, the called, they're called the constitutions of, of the, of the, the second Vatican council. So the four constitutions, I'm going to put them so you can see them like this. They're not that thick, right? There's not, these are the four most, the, the other, the other 12 documents, um, don't even double this. Okay. So it's not that, that big in terms of documents, uh, or size of documents, Four, the four and the the four constitutions are on the sacred liturgy, on the the dogmatic constitution on the church, the dogmatic constitution of divine revelation, and the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. Mm-hmm. So, so the liturgy, how do we worship? Um, the dogmatic constitution of the church, what is the church? Mm-hmm. The dogmatic constitution of divine revelation, how has God revealed Himself to us? Mm-hmm. In scripture and in tradition, and how do we understand that? And then the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. How does the church more fruitfully engage in the world in our time? That last one really has more to do with the evangelization part. To be honest, it's here and it's in the other one. It's it's all over the place. Um, But the the first one that was published uh, officially is the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy. And the first paragraph just gives a great summary. So, we just talked about why did John call it mm-hmm. um, the council of fathers themselves. So the bishops draft work together. They draft the documents, they vote on them uh, with the Pope giving final authorization. And the first document summarizes their understanding. Then now John called us together. What's our work here. Right. And this is what the first document of the council says. This sacred council has several aims in view. 
So, and then it goes through them. It doesn't enumerate them, but I'm going to enumerate them. Number one, it desires to impart an ever-increasing vigor to the Christian life of the faithful. Number two, to adapt more suitably to the needs of our own times, those institutions which are subject to change. Number three, to foster whatever can promote union among all who believe in Christ. And finally, number four, to strengthen whatever can help to call the whole of mankind into the council of the church. Mm-hmm. So to impart an ever-increasing vigor to the Christian life of the faithful, to adapt more suitably to the needs of our own times, those institutions in the church, which are subject to change. Number three, to foster whatever can promote union among all who believe in Christ. So Christians together. And finally, number four, to strengthen whatever can help to call the whole of mankind into the household of the church. Mm-hmm. Those are the four purposes for... so. Again, the bishops coming together. This is why John called us together. The Holy Spirit called us through Pope John. Why are we here? These are what we identify as the four primary purposes right. that we have. Right. When you hear those, how does that strike you? It strikes me as something that we really, really need right now. Right. So, uh, and, 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 it, and this was a while ago. That's nine, and th- I'm not sure we've done a lot of this stuff yet. <laughs> correct. So this is my anticipation, and we only have about six minutes to go. Um why should you care about Vatican II to finally get to that? Uh, and we're going to talk about these four points. But John Paul II described Vatican II as the great gift of the church. Sorry, the great gift of the spirit to the church in our time. Mm-hmm. The great gift of the spirit to the church in our time. But many people have said it's sort of like this was a gift that was given to us, like a like a think of a of a box with a nice bow and we, we and, and wrapping paper. We unwrapped it, we took the bow off, we opened it. Oh look, and we took out like there's a, a bunch of, of 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 jewels, of gems, gifts, specific gifts with inside this <clears throat> with with within this one gift box. And we took a couple of them out and looked at them and played with them, and then we put the box on the shelf. <laughs> yes. We need to fully unpack and implement the teachings of the Second Vatican yeah, Council. Yeah. There is a lot of controversy, and we're not, I wasn't going to get into all the controversy around right. Vatican II, but a lot of it is needless. The church did not, if you look at, if you read the documents, right? So it's like, what does the church teach? You read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We right. talked about that last week. What did Vatican II teach? Read the documents. Right. Like all the, a lot of the controversy around Vatican II, not all of it, but a lot of it is needless. When you read the documents, you the, the Vatican II said nothing about a lot of the things that people think it said. Right. So when you receive, when you read them, you see again the four purposes it identifies to to make you and I live our faith more fully, mm-hmm. um, to to adapt in those things in the church that we need to adapt for the times in which we live. Mm-hmm. We can't adapt everything. Some of it's given to us by God, right. but some of us is some of it is man made. Well, and by adapt, you don't mean change the doctrine. Correct. That's not what not, we mean. Not change no. the doctrine. It's it's adapt our our um, how we. Go about our exactly. faith. Right, which can be, to some degree, adapted. Mm-hmm. Number three, to draw all Christians together. That's a great aim. Mm-hmm. And finally, to do whatever we can to draw all the the entire, all of mankind into the household of the church. That is the evangelization that yeah. you talked about. Yeah. That's why the council was called. But we just did... Like we did things around the edges, like we like changes in the liturgy, misinterpreted a lot of things, (laughs) misinterpreted. So we really like all of our popes at and since the council have basically begged not just the bishops, 
but regular Catholics like you, me, and Bill to read the documents of the Second Vatican Council. <laughs> read the darn documents <laughs> is my summary. <laughs> Why? Because again, I, I'm with JP too. These are the council was a great gift of the church of the spirit to the church in our time. Mm-hmm. So God gave us this gift. Shouldn't we sort of pay attention to it? Yeah, it's not inspired like scripture, right? right. But it is. It is God working through His shepherds to address members of the church and, frankly, members of humanity. Uh, in in the late twentieth and now the twenty first century, so we really should pay attention. Does it does it give like some concrete ways to adapt, uh, or does, does it? What does it? So yeah, so some of the adaptation actually comes in this first document. It's on, it's on the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Now even there, you'll see that people will read this and be like, um, the things the way that we changed the mass isn't all called for in Vatican II, which is actually true, Um, but to some degree. So there was a call for some more of of the local language to be used in the Mass. Before Vatican II, um, in this country, all Latin. Latin, After Vatican II, all English. Now, they didn't say go all local language, but to some degree. But that's an adaptation that that, that they called for. How, to to some degree, how the sacraments are administered. Mm -hmm. An adaptation that was called for. Encouraging. So going to um, Dei Verbum, the Dogmatic Constitution, Divine Revelation, encouraging lay people to read scripture. Oh, right. Clearly called for by Vatican II. Mm -hmm. So that's why today all the resources we have for Bible study in the Catholic Church are in many ways. It it didn't that that didn't begin at Vatican II, um, but Vatican II gave like the full voice of the church. Read the darn Bible. (laughs) Right. So read the documents of Vatican II. Read the Bible. Read the catechism. Read. Or listen to an audio book. Whatever. Right. (laughs) Right. So so this is yes. That's my answer to. Yeah. What about adaptation? Yeah, yeah, because it, it seems like there's there's hopefully some stuff in there we can really grab onto. And, and a lot of it, to, to be honest, you're going to read, it's not like, uh, there's not going to be necessarily... It's not a laundry an, list. list. Right. <laughs> so read it and pray with it, study it with other people. I know uh, um, uh, a few folks in our diocese actually, in, in, in response to my, like, read the darn documents... <laughs> Uh, because we just celebrated the 55th anniversary of the end of Vatican II back in December. Oh, okay. December 8th, 2020 was the 55th anniversary of the end of Vatican II. Some people heard me say, read the darn documents. So they're doing that nice. um, in, in groups. And and there there are some really helpful books out there. Uh, Dr. Alan Schreck has a book called The Crisis and the Promise. Um, there are other resources out there to help people understand Vatican II and and sort of unpack it and apply it, but it has to start with read the, documents. the darn documents. <laughs> are they a good, are they easy read? Ish, ish, okay. yeah. So there's some theology, but sure. not not high level. Okay, okay. Uh, and it, I want to be explicit here. If you, if you do dive in, uh, this is this is a, something I'm really passionate about. So, folks, if you decide to dive in and you're totally confused, email me again. The address mm-hmm. is ignition at sfcatholic.org because I'd be happy to help. So, Renee. 10 seconds left. Any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Read the darn documents. (laughs) Yeah. The great gift of the spirit to the church in our time uh, with our popes, I would exhort you, read the documents of the Second Vatican Council. 
And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Once more, the email address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Write to me there with any ideas for future episodes, any thoughts about this episode or questions. And until next time, may God bless you.